Tracking severe weather systems is critical to ensuring the safety of anyone in the storm's path, but for some, their job is to go directly into the heart of the chaos. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, and this week on Noon Edition, we'll be talking with meteorologists and storm spotters about their roles in covering the severe storms that frequent the Midwest. Stay tuned for some Twister Tales right after this hour's news. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity Company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, public health reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with my co-host, Sarah Whitmire, the News Bureau Chief at WFIU and WTIU. And uh, spring is almost here and that brings a lot of rain and uh, a lot of flowers and things of that nature but also a lot of storms we get tornadoes and other severe storms in indiana and today on noon edition we're going to be discussing severe weather and how it is monitored from the national weather service to videographers on the ground who are spotting these twisters as they come through the state. Uh, Dan McCarthy is here with us. He is a meteorologist in charge, National Weather Service, um, Weather Forecast Office in Indianapolis. Drake Luton is with us. He's the owner of Twisted Alley Chasers from Fort Wayne, and also Eric Lawson is from Fort Wayne. He's a storm spotter, and he and uh, Drake drove down today from Fort Wayne just to be with <laughs> us here in Bloomington on, on Noon Edition. You can join our program live uh, at 812-855-0811 if you have a question here in Bloomington or outside of the Bloomington area, 1-877-285-9348. And also at Noon Edition, if you want to follow us on uh, Twitter. So thanks a lot for being here with us today. Uh, you know, tornadoes, severe weather, everybody talks about it. Everybody's, you know, fascinated with it, really. So, Dan, I wanted to, to ask you first, as a meteorologist in charge um, in, with the National Weather Service in Indianapolis. So severe weather in Indiana, how does Indiana rate in terms of severe weather, you know, through the Midwest with other states? Well, actually, uh, when you look back at the data, Mike got to work uh, a lot with the tornado and severe weather database when I was with the Storm Prediction Center prior to coming here. Actually, uh, when you go back into the 66 years of data, Indiana is number 11 statewide for number of tornadoes per year. That's uh, pretty uh, – that's something we should pay, att pay attention to, Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and so you, you told me before we went on the show the num the average number per state. What was that, 22? Two? We average 22 tornadoes in the state per year. And then how do you decide, you know, which ones? I mean, I know there are different ratings for tornadoes. How, how, how's that work, and how do you decide what, what the force is? Well, we really can't do anything. Um, you can look at the size of the tornado as far as the, like, the mesoscale features like right away and get an idea. And these gentlemen can give me an idea, like how wide the tornado is from the distance wherever they're filming the tornado. But the tornado isn't uh, really evaluated until you see the damage. It's based strictly on the damage, and we use the enhanced Fujita scale to do so. Okay. Now, you called these guys uh, gentlemen. They, they look like gentlemen to me. <laughs> what? We so, appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So a storm spot, how'd you get into the whole idea of storm spotting or being a storm spotter? Drake? Um, well, ever since I was a teenager, um, 
I've always had a thing for weather, you know, just storms coming into town. You know, you never actually could see the storms being in a city until, you know, it was directly on top. And it wasn't until uh, 2001, um, Fort Wayne had a uh, EF2, and I just happened to be on my way to work, and I just literally was not even a half a mile from this tornado, watched it go through the parking lot of Northcrest Shopping Plaza, and uh, never since then, I kind of, you know, was like, whoa, you know, so close, it was like almost a near-death kind of experience, and uh, and you like that. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's an adrenaline rush, I guess, and ever since then, um, you know, I just took it on as a full-time hobby and you know i'd like to help prepare the uh, general public and warn them you know a lot of times people don't expect anything and yeah so so how do you work together with meteorologists because i in my head there was probably always sort of this head butting going on and them saying <laughs> stay out of harm's way so how do you how do you cooperate um well with me um there's phone numbers that we can contact uh any of the national weather service offices then um so we could either call them directly to their um, office, wherever we are in the country, and, uh, you know, we'll talk to whoever answers the phone and just basically state where our location is, what we're seeing, um, the time of what we saw, and, uh, you know, they can go by that with what they're seeing on radar to judge whether they want to issue a warning or... Mm-hmm. So you're truly involved in predicting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I want to ask Eric how you got involved and, you know, what your role is at this point. Um, I started basically as a kid getting in the bathroom when a potential tornado ran through the back of our neighbor's yard. Um, I I didn't get really back into it until I got much older. I spent a lot of time racing cars and decided that uh, maybe storm chasing is less expensive. I'm not sure that's the case. But... uh, I've always been fascinated with weather since I was a kid, and mm-hmm. I literally just a couple years ago decided I'm I'm going to go out and chase storms. Mm-hmm. And from there, I met Drake and and some other people, and it's just kind of taken off from there. Mm-hmm. So your your company, Drake, the uh, Twisted Alley Chasers. So explain what that is exactly. Um, Basically, it's like with Eric and me, uh, a couple other friends that I've met over the years, um, people that live in like Northwest Ohio, Northeast Indiana, and they're all, everybody on my team is um, weather trained. So they go, you know, the National Weather Service holds uh, spring training seminars every year for their counties. And everyone, I do have acquire everyone to do that and be spotter trained. Um, even some online programs, there's a Comet MedEd program that I have them do, you know, role of a Skywarm spotter, the, uh, Storm spotter. There's another, there's all kinds of on that site that people can train, uh, understand radar and signatures of what they're looking at inside a storm. Mm-hmm. So, so you said this is a hobby, but do you get... Do you get paid for this I do, at all? You yeah. get compensated? I, there's, there's times that there's a bonus involved in it. And, uh, you know, I like making the little bit of the money that I can because it helps pay for the trips itself. Um, but I work with uh, a team called Stormview Live. And they also are a media broker. And anything that I get, they... Um, can sell to like the media networks like the Weather Channel. I've been on the Weather Channel, CBS, NBC, on some footages out west uh, of north of um, Kansas City last year, and then a couple setups here locally, just in northern Indiana, that we were covered with the news. Okay. So, Dan, um, Drake was talking about some of the uh, different uh, requirements for the people that work with him. Uh, the the knowledge of signatures and things of that nature. So. You know, can you explain that a little bit? I mean, what are the kinds of things that, that um, you would want a storm spotter out there that you're going to trust looking for? Well, number one, I do. we do require or we'd like for somebody to go through a storm spotting class. Uh, in fact, uh, it was just last Friday there were two classes here in the Bloomington area for Morgan County and, and the vicinity. I'm doing one in Johnson County on Monday evening. Uh, the, the 20th, I believe it is, and uh, so we'll be doing that one. To, and we go all over. Our, our warning coordination meteorologist, Dave Tusick, does a lot of them. We have also uh, some of our forecasters will do a few of them as well. So we try to cover as many of the 39 counties that we have in central Indiana to train the people that want to be storm spotters for us. And one of the things that we teach in these classes are storm structure, how tornadoes develop, um, sometimes how confusing it is. Uh, we still don't have the answers on how tornadoes, we can get the big ones that occur out in Oklahoma or maybe some of the big ones that are on obvious weather days that we have big tornadoes. But we're trying to 
figure out some of the not so obvious ones like last week when we had some of the smaller tornadoes that caused some small damage. So that's what we try to do on these storm spotter trainings, give you a little meteorology, a little storm structure, how tornadoes develop, what to do when you're in the path, where's the best location to be. Um, the storm spotters not only just try to get the tornadoes, but they get the whole storm structure. They love to see that whole supercell type structure uh, and, and, and the whole thing. So, you know, they do a lot for us to verify where they're at. And one of the things we really ask to do is don't give me the location where you're at. That's not where the storm is at. And that's really important <laughs> cool. to let them know. The, with the storm spotters, that's not, I mean, that's for everybody. That's for me or something. That's not for people who want to necessarily go out and chase storms though, right? Right, right. You do have people that like to go out and the movie Twister did a lot for <laughs> promoting storm chasers. <laughs> Um, one fortunate thing about storm spotting or storm chasing out here in the Ohio Valley region is that we don't get the line of cars that the Central Plains and the Southern Plains <laughs> yeah. do every spring. That's what we call chaser convergence. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and uh, you know, heads off to you if you're off by yourself and you catch that rare tornado yeah. you, and you're all there by yourself and you're not with a thousand other drivers and things like that. And that, that, that has been a problem out in the plains, but we don't mm -hmm. thankfully have that problem here. So Eric, talk about um, storm structure. I mean, when you're out there, what are you looking for? Uh, that's one of the best parts for me is just the entire storm itself. I mean, yes, ultimately we're looking for tornadoes, but there's so much else that goes into a storm that makes it beautiful. I've actually never was much into photography, and I've started to get into photography just because there's so much beauty in, in, in the structure of a storm. Mm -hmm. But there are some cues that we're looking for, uh, particular parts of the storm uh, that lead to a precursor or a warning of a tornado, uh, things like wall clouds, okay? Uh, we're also looking for rotation in the thunderstorm itself. Um, one thing I've learned from uh, Skip Talbot, he has a wonderful video about learning how to storm chase, which is primarily the biggest reason I actually got into this because I'm a visual person. Mm -hmm. So this really helped me identify the visual clues of a thunderstorm. But often you'll get this horseshoe feature. And, and, and basically what happens is the, the rear flank downdraft of the storm is, is pushing uh, through the base of the thunderstorm and it starts to curl out like a horseshoe. And that's a good indicator that, you know, where you're going to look for the wall cloud, where you're looking for the rotation, and where you're looking for a potential tornado to form. Okay. So help me see this horseshoe. So is it like, like, you know, up and down? Or can you see, like, the ends and there's something in the middle that would indicate that the, there's it, a horseshoe? If you're looking at it, you're going to see what's called a, uh, a clear slot. Uh, mm -hmm. And this okay. isn't always the case, too. you got to understand every thunderstorm is different. Mm -hmm. You may not always get this cue because sometimes there are what's called uh, high precipitation supercells where that area is shrouded in rain. So all you're going to see is rain, and that's where the tornado is lurking inside. That's why you stay away from that area of the storm. But often the horseshoe will be... Uh, if, if, if you're looking at me and I'm the horseshoe, it's right. going to be facing out, gotcha. kind of come back to your ears. Okay. Gotcha. So you, you mentioned the tornadoes last week, and I know it, Mitchell had, was it an EF2 maybe? Uh, I believe you're right. I yes. think it was an it was EF2. It was rated EF2, yes. But they didn't even have a thunderstorm warning. So how, how do, I guess if you can talk about just how difficult this is and how much we are still trying to learn, like the horseshoe thing I'd never heard before. <laughs> no, they, nobody would have seen a horseshoe in this case. Um, okay. <laughs> now, I'm not exactly the one to answer this, but since I've seen the radar data since I've been back from California, mm -hmm. I was out on leave last week meeting my grandson. But anyway, um, what happens in these particular cases is um, you get small spin-ups. You have to understand that tornadoes develop two ways. Everybody knows about the funnel cloud dropping down and then touching on the ground. So that's a, 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 a downward forming tornado. But you also get a, a spin-up tornado. And sometimes these will occur as other storms along a line of storms interact with each other. Um, I guess since I'm the oldest one here, <laughs> I can go back to the 50 or the 60s and the 70s when we talked about squall lines. Then as radar developed, we got line echo wave patterns, what we call loops. And you can see the loops on the front end of that squall line. Now with dual pole radar, we can see the individual storms along that line and how they're interacting. And so in this particular case, the one that caused EF2 damage was a spin-up type thing where two thunderstorm boundaries intersected, spun up real quickly, and then was gone. Okay. 
So we're talking about tornadoes today and uh, severe weather, which we all need to be alert to over the next few weeks and a couple of months. So if you want have a question or a comment, you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So, you know, as a, as a citizen of Bloomington, you know, we have all the storm warnings and, you know, I'm also a newspaper guy. And so it seems like every year we have stories about the emergency weather system here and whether an alert should have been sounded or wasn't sounded. And, you know, the, our, my, my poor buddies at the emergency uh, management office never can seem to do anything right. You know, uh, some citizens are like, why did they do that? And others are like, well, I should have warned us earlier. What, what, you know, as a, what do you expect from like a city's storm warning system? When should they, you know, how, how, um, how clear is it when they should actually sound a warning? Dan, can you, I don't know if that's, that's not a very good question, but. No, it is because, you know, we deal a lot with the emergency management community, and they're uh, probably one of our best partners that we have. In fact, they are one of the best partners that we have, and we work closely with the uh, Indiana Department of Homeland Security with this. But the emergency managers uh, of each county, they determine, uh, working with their first responders, when to sound the sirens in their particular county. Um, now, sometimes they'll call us and they'll depend on us. We also have uh, little statements in our severe thunderstorm warnings that say that tornadoes can develop at any time still, even though we don't have a tornado warning. And that's because of some of these, what we call bow, little bow echoes or um, the, these little tornadoes that like to develop. Um, so, you know, it's up to them to determine. So if they think that it's necessary for the public safety to sound the sirens, they can sound the sirens. They have to determine when to do so. Mm-hmm. Is this made a lot harder in the evening? Oh my goodness! Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! The nighttime, the, night. the nighttime thunderstorms, the ones that that like last week that occurred at yeah. five in the morning. That yeah. was with the main line of storms, and so uh, those are the hardest ones to see. They're the hardest ones to uh, for the public to track or you know see as well. You have to go by sound. There are some people that have said yes, it sounded like a freight train as it roared by, and sometimes strong winds can do that as well. Mm-hmm. It seems like in a way that we're so outdated, uh, and, and forgive my ignorance, but we have so much technology and still just looking at it, it seems to be the best way. <laughs> it you seems know, like what you're saying. <laughs> unlike these guys, um, you know, I went to school for six years to learn meteorology. <laughs> so I had the math equations and everything like that. But, you know, one time we had a very clear picture through the years of research and that of what supercells or multicells can do. But with the uh, scientific programs called Vortex uh, that have occurred, I remember the first time we had Vortex, one of the more prominent uh, professors in tornado forecasting, Chuck Doswell, said, you know, we have to start all over Mm -hmm. because there are some things that occur that we just don't understand still. Mm -hmm. You you mentioned Vortex. It's kind of a, a... there are a lot of catch words that you'll hear on television weather now. You know, they all have a system. You know, the Doppler radar was a big system. And, mm-hmm. and then there's like, I don't know, vortex scan or whatever. I, I don't know, I'm making these yeah. up. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean. There's always sort of like every weather channel seems to have some new technology. I mean, what, what, um, you know, what should we be looking for if we're watching TV? What, what, what are the, the catchphrases we should hear that say, Okay, those guys know what they're talking about. I'd like to chip on this one. I I still recommend doing what I've always done from the get-go. I look to these guys. I look Mm -hmm. to guys like Dan to find out what's going to go on. So the National Weather Service. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like you said, he's been to school for it. You know, this is a hobby for me. I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. You know, but ultimately, at the end of the day, these are the people I respect (laughs) that I look up to for information, you know, not only for my own own safety, but for the safety of the public at large. Mm -hmm. You know, these are the guys who are doing it every day. And when you think about everything in the atmosphere is in motion all the time, moving and, and shifting, mm-hmm. and every storm's like a snowflake. It's, they're all different. You know, like he talked about, tornadoes are even different. They spin up in different ways. They're created in different processes. So the, the immense challenge that they have, regardless of the amount of technology we have today, is just 
it's mind blowing when you really think about what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And now, overall, I think they do a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. Dan, so the the technology, you know, you talked about how the uh, with the, that there has been there have been big changes. I mean, even in the last decade, what what's happened that's helped us move forward in this technology? Well, obviously, having the dual pole Doppler radar mm-hmm. uh, compared to the old Doppler radar that we had has helped us out immensely. Um, by dual pole, what I mean is the radar will send out a signal, and it'll hit, like for example, a storm, and as that signal's coming back, another one's going out. And one's going out vertically, and another one's going out horizontally. So you get a three-dimensional look of the storm, if you will. Now, just recently, we have cracked open GO-16, and we're all going through the, believe it or not, intense training in learning what we're going to have with this new satellite display, even lightning detection and things like that. But what's really key that we don't get are observational data in a smaller than mesoscale. By mesoscale, I mean the frontal system that we talked about, the cold fronts and the warm fronts and the low-pressure systems that everybody talks about, that's the synoptic system. When we get down to the thunderstorm itself or the supercell, that's the mesoscale system. What's within that is even a smaller mesoscale system that we don't get OBS for, and we need these eyes right here to help us see what's going on within that storm. Because the secret of life when it comes to tornado development and severe storms is that lowest 3,000 feet. Everything happens right in there, and that's what we don't sample sometimes. So, Drake, what are you looking for when you're out there? Huh. You know, in that lower 3,000 feet. Uh, you're looking for features like Eric was talking about yeah. earlier. Um, you're looking for wall clouds, um, looking for inflow. You know, if you see a lot of updraft in the storm, you know you're going to have a stronger storm, and then um, you'll see a little bit of rotation. And then uh, after you form a wall cloud, you might start to see a funnel. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you're kind of hoping, you know, well, you don't want it to be in a big area where it's highly populated you know most of the chases were all it's all country corn roads and yeah right okay so we're, we're gonna have to take a short break when we come back i want to talk about uh some of the experiences you guys have had when you've been out okay. looking for storms and i also want to talk about what you know what hoosiers should do to protect themselves here in the next couple of months so you're listening to noon edition and we'll be right back This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each weekday afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Sarah Whitmire from WFIU and WTIU. We're talking about storms today, severe weather, and how to how it's monitored. And uh, we're going to give you some tips on what to do if we were getting getting severe weather here in, in just a few minutes. But we have three guests in the studio: Dan McCarthy, the meteorologist in charge for the National Weather Service Weather Forecast Office in Indianapolis. Drake Luton, the owner of Twisted Alley Chasers in Fort Wayne, and Eric Lawson, who's a storm spotter who uh, works with Drake in Fort Wayne. Uh, if you have questions or comments, give us a call at 1-812-855-0811 here in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside the Bloomington area. You can also uh, join us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So I wanted to ask you guys about your experiences. So Drake, why don't you go first? I mean, what's give us a, give us a story about going out and looking for a storm. Okay, we'll say June twenty second, twenty fifteen. 
Storm Prediction Center issued a enhanced risk for northern Illinois and southern Wisconsin. Um, late morning, there was a little mesoconvective system that came through. Um, a roll cloud came in, rolled, and uh, set a cold pool. Well, throughout the afternoon with the cold pool, you know, the environment wasn't in great conditions, and it ended up shifting everything south about 60, 70 miles. So we were all the way Illinois, Wisconsin state line border there and ended up driving through Davenport, Iowa. Um, I seen a cell uh, that was near Des Moines, which was about three hours out of my way that went tornado warned. And you know, I was like, well, we'd never be able to get to that. I saw this little cell just north of Iowa City form. And it looked really good, had a really good feature, nice inflow, nice tail coming in. Uh, only problem was is to ride with it, we had to cross over the mighty Mississippi. And if you're anywhere along Mississippi, you know, there's only so many bridges that cross there, which, you know, if you're a chaser and you want to stay on a storm, you better hope, you know, you got access to easily get there. Well, luckily we found a storm, um, Illinois City, by the time it crossed over there, we were through Illinois City, it dropped a 400-yard wedge that was on the ground, I believe four and a half five miles it was an ef2 winds of 110 mile an hour winds and uh it was rain wrapped at the time we uh, in the country you know we couldn't see nothing and just pulled into this blackness i couldn't see anything and then it just got calm wind shifted i looked to the left there's the wedge about maybe 100 yards away and uh, yeah, we stayed with that for about four four miles, and then it actually ended up producing several other tornadoes that went right along northern Illinois. Coal City got hit with, I think, it produced an F three. And mm-hmm. so when you were so when you talk about uh, how you saw this cell, I mean, what were you looking at? Were were you looking at radar when or usually when I'm chasing, I'm always usually the one driving, and you uh-huh. know, I might have somebody like Eric with me or somebody else from the team. Um, we work on this uh, a Zello channel, which is like a, almost kind of like an amateur ham radio, walkie-talkie type deal, where we have people who are on there that are helping us with radar, um, with navigating with road networks and stuff like that. So it's not just, you know, a one-man show. You know, right. it takes, you know, I usually have three or four other people online with me helping. So when you saw the uh, the wedge, so the wedge is, is that the part that's on the mm-hmm. on The tornado the itself. Okay, wedge, so yeah. you said it was about 100 yards away. So that's like yep. the length of a football field. Mm-hmm. And so when you see it like that, are you like tempted to – what direction the, should you go? The, the first I mean, thing that I seen, do do? the first thing I seen mm. when I saw that, at that moment, we instantly reported it in. Mm-hmm. We were in um, Illinois City, and we reported our location, called the National Weather Service. I think that was um, up there, Quad Cities, KDVN. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, – then you, we just stayed with it. Mm-hmm. And for one brief period, it wasn't wrapped up in rain. But as it got closer to Edgington, Illinois, it just missed this town. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this thing was about 400 yards wide. And I'm sure it would have hit town straight on and did some serious damage. And luckily, on any storm that I've chased so far, I haven't had to come into that prediction. Mm-hmm. But there's been a couple of times that I've seen some houses hit and walked up to make sure the people there are okay. Okay, you got to help me with this. So when you say you stayed with it, I mean, do you know what the tornado is going to do? Well, I mean, you, you it, could, it, could it like turn toward you? It could, and, yes. And, it, and, and there's cases like the El Reno tornado that, you know, there's a few professional guys, Tim Samaras, highly respected guy, professional, and, uh, you know, this this tornado just kind of shifted, went north and went south, and, you know, it just came right at people. So you really, on depends on the strength of the storm, is, you know, it could turn north, it could turn south, it could come back. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a danger to it all. Yeah, it sounds, <laughs> sounds like it. So that seems like the criticism of storm chasers that I always hear is that you're putting yourself in a position where you might need to be rescued. I, mm-hmm. I guess just respond to that. I mean, what do you do to, to try to ensure that? Well, I try to, you know, at least be positioned outside of the storm. I want to see the whole storm aspect. You know, the, the better you see it from a distance, you can see the full storm structure and you're within a safe distance. You know, when you get underneath the storm, you might get hit with some rain and then some hell. And after you're getting pelted with all that, then the tornado is going to come out and hide behind all that. And you might not be ready for it. 
So you're not really looking to be in that position again, necessarily. Right. right? Okay. No, no. <laughs> <Not> no. Okay. <laughs> Eric, how about you? Um, it would have to be actually just a couple weeks ago on the 28th of February. Um, a friend and I left uh, Monday night at 11 o'clock in the evening and drove all the way down to south of uh, uh, St. Louis, Missouri. Um, we knew it was going to be a pretty volatile setup. We also knew, and this happens a lot in storm chasing, where you, you have an area north and you have an area south that's going to be probably favorable for tornadoes. And so you have to choose. And that's part of, part of the best part about this for me is all the research that I do prior to going in a chase. You know, I'm, I'm online, I'm looking at maps, I'm looking at forecast discussions, you know, there's all this information. And you feel like a detective, you know, like you're sifting through all this data, try to find, you know, one area in thousands of square miles where you think this is going to happen. And so I picked an area south of St. Louis for us to start in. And, you know, we were, like we drove through the night and then we were up like all day and just waiting for this to happen. And... Uh, I had some real debate about going north. I was really close to pulling that trigger. In fact, we started to move that way, and I was like, wait, I still like it south better. I think we should stay down here. And so we did, and we had a storm finally fire, and that was the big question that day down south, whether we were going to get storms to initiate or not. And we had one go up, and we immediately got on this storm, and it just fizzled and died right when we got there. Next thing you know, up north, northern Illinois, it's tornado after tornado after tornado, and we're just like, oh man, you know, yeah. we're we're hundreds of miles away. Uh, maybe we can get up there in time, but it's going to be dark by the time we do. And so we just decided to stay down there. I still like things to the south. I was waiting for the low-level jet to to crank up, and uh, sure enough, it did. We had a storm fire in Missouri. Um, which ended up sadly producing uh, a major tornado, uh, which we intercepted at night, uh, which I don't know how I've found this ability to find tornadoes at night. I don't like this. I'd like to see them in the daytime. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we were down by the Mississippi River as well, and we went through a town called Murfreesboro, which ironically was destroyed by the uh, 1925 uh, tri-state tornado and came up from the north and we, i kept us about two miles away because we had reports from other storm chasers at that point that there was a very large and dangerous tornado on the ground and so we waited from a distance and finally uh, saw it unfortunately it was uh, doing damage to a town mm -hmm. uh, through the power flashes and whatnot and that's the first tornado i've ever been on where there were fatalities involved and i've never seen that much damage in my life mm -hmm. Dan, you so you hear these stories from these guys. I mean, w what about storm spotters, storm chasers? Do you think is great for what you do, and what do you wish they maybe wouldn't do? Well, like we've been saying, the storm spotter is very important to us to see exactly to verify what we're seeing on radar. Um, now, you know, with the technology that has been brought up, you know, there's this term we use with a large tornado is called a debris ball. That sounds scary. It is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's actually uh, smaller particles, things like two-by-fours, glass, roofing, things like that that get circulated in the tornado. Um, what I always in the, the meteorology community is always worried about with these gentlemen and ladies is that it seems to be a competition who can get the closest to the tornado. Okay, now... A lot of stories have been told over the last, we're going on three years, going on four now, with the El Reno tornado that occurred on May 30th, 2000, I want to say 15. 13. 13. 13. Yeah. And this was now, is now known as the widest tornado ever recorded. Um, the weird thing about that tornado was it moved southeast originally. And so the inflow in that was really, really enhanced on this tornado. And then it made a turn to the left like nor more normal dangerous tornadoes did. And we lost Tim Samaras and two others in his car in that because they were putting down turtles in order to measure pressure in, within those tornadoes. But here in Indiana, we don't get sometimes those clear seeing type of tornadoes now. Uh, we do at weird times of the year, it seems like now, like in August of last year, um, trying to drive up to Kokomo after on the 24th mm -hmm. in order to evaluate the damage at the Starbucks. And then when you look across the street on 931 there, there were some homes that were damaged even back on the November uh, 17, 2013 day. 
um, was frightening. But, you know, we had to move. I was trying to get there to evaluate the damage, and we had to move a couple times for tornadoes that were developing to our north and to our west. So you have to be vigilant when you're out there to do so. Now, it helps me living in Oklahoma for 11 years. I have gone storm chasing with my sons. I have been chased by tornadoes just at home. Um, so you know, when you're out in that area, you know, it's nice to know, though, that you've come home from a day of work. You know what the potential is. You've seen all the data. You know what's going to happen. And when it happens, you have this mixed feeling. Yeah, I, I verified this. And then I was like, oh, my goodness, there are people in the way that I know of this. So there's yeah. a lot of mixed emotions. Yeah. Okay. Well, Go ahead, sir. When you all, I guess if you can just tell me how this relationship works. I mean, do you call spotters? Do you activate a spotter network? Or There's two ways. There's one way they can call us. And with everybody having cell phones now, as long as the cell towers are up, they can get a hold of us. The other way is ham radio. Mm-hmm. Ham radio has become a very, very, it's still a very, very important way to communicate with the National Weather Service. We can, uh, we have a spotter network that uses ham radio and that we can that they can contact us in the office. I have a license, um, and you can call in, and they let us know what they're seeing from spotters that they have heard from themselves. So counties all have ham radio operators that can get that communication. And that's one way to communicate us when power lines are down or when cell phone towers are down. Mm-hmm. So there are ways to get information. There's also, you know, if you call your local sheriff's office or police or something like that, or if they contact the local county authorities and stuff like that, they can relay the report to us. We actually work with some ham radio operators up in Fort Wayne, and they've been a, a key, played a key role in helping us relay reports to the National Weather Service. So that's one of the things we've been working with with Twisted Alley Chasers is to increase the, our ability to, to report valid information to the people like Dan who make the decisions to warn the public. Mm-hmm. That probably fits into this question we got. Yeah, Tim sure. from Owen County was asking um, the best online resources for tracking storms and whether any radio channels are available to tune into to hear storm chasers. I'm not sure as far as radio goes. I mean, like I said, always at the end of the day, I'm going to recommend people tune to the National Weather Service to get the information that they need to make their decisions based on. Uh, There are lots of things nowadays via Facebook and social media where, you know, chasers are putting out their live broadcasts. And I think, you know, that has some value as well, you know, especially if we can say, I'm an X and Y road, and I have a tornado to my northwest. You know, to somebody who lives on that area, that's valid information, you know, that they may be getting quicker than, than what they get from the National Weather Service. But you have to use that with a, with a grain of salt because we are not meteorologists. We are not professionals. We are hobbyists. And that's why I say, at the end of the day, please trust the National Weather Service first and make your decisions from there. And, he, and he brought up a very excellent point that social media has become a growing area of reporting storms um, we have twitter contact at the national weather service we also have a facebook contact and so we're monitoring that constantly for reports and so are the tv stations and the tv stations here are very very good in relaying information that they may hear out in the field or something like that and you know let us know or share that information with us and there's what a weather radios out now that you can buy available at any store mm-hmm. so are there other uh websites i i went to your website today and you know it's it pretty cool i thought i didn't get to spend much time with it but what kind of information do you offer on your website um <laughs> well we haven't really been on that in a while oh okay no. thank goodness for, <laughs> but, thank uh, goodness for gps it is, <laughs> <but> it, <laughs> it is linked with like the i do have like i think a page where it's linked with the storm prediction center mm-hmm. so you can get the daily outlooks on there um i believe that there's also a radar imagery on there that you know mm-hmm. you can see radar um yeah okay. the, most of the time, though, you know, I even have like a weather radio in my car, mm-hmm. you know, and then I link it up with whatever weather office that we're in the area, you know, just to kind of hear, you know, well, you might get a watch before you get the watch issued on like your phone app. A lot of times you can get warnings and watches on your phones now. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, 
Oh, go ahead. I think, you know, we need to bring up another special point here with uh, social media, and that's and there's a lot of terrible information that people are getting out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, invalid forecasts, invalid, you know, people trying to hype up the situation to get likes on their page. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why you have to – that's why I keep – I can't say it enough. <laughs> start with the National Weather Service and make your decisions from there. But, you know, I don't try to post stuff to tell people what the weather's going to be like because I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I, yes, I'm trying to find tornadoes, but I do that on my own. And if I successful in that at the end of the day, you know, I mean, I may share my story after the fact, but I'm not trying to tell people what the weather's going to be like today. Right. Okay. I mean, you, you, I think you mentioned it uh, before, Drake, that you said you got this uh, adrenaline rush when you were 12 years old or whatever it was when you were a kid. And I mean, is that still part of what really gets you guys oh, out yeah. there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah you, it, sure. It's a whole, the whole reality sets in, you know, and and now, you know, I don't get near as excited when I first see the tornado on the ground. You know? I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, no, um, first thing that always comes into my mind is I need to get that reported in, what I'm seeing. Uh, just basically let the general public know. And then, you know, we'll go and follow it and stay with it. And, you know, we'll stay in contact with, you know, the offices and what we're reporting. And Right. Okay. Dan, you said you you had chased tornadoes and been chased by them. So were, were you on this side of the, the table at one point, or did you make a switch? Not, or, no. not necessarily, okay. because um, I'm not calling these. I'm not saying they're not scientists. In many ways, they are. But I go out because you know I studied these storms. I've been studying storm structures since 1974. So you know the Xenia tornado was it for me. That's really put me. I wanted to know about storms. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, being brought up and raised in Cleveland, and I, I say I brought up and raised in Cleveland, but I went to school in St. Louis University, so that's where I grew up. Okay, so, <laughs> right, right. so th- that's what I mean. And living in Oklahoma, in Norman, Oklahoma, oh, yeah. you have a tendency, yeah, you're right there. Not only is the severe storm lab there, but the whole state is a lab. <laughs> okay, yeah. so that's where Doppler radar was basically born out of both the Palm Sunday outbreak back in 65 here in Indiana and in the Ohio Valley, as well as the super outbreak back in 74. That's where those two outbreaks gave birth to Doppler radar. So, you know, when you're in that environment down there and, you know, there are there's a high risk of tornadoes and there's practically nobody in the National Weather Center except for the Storm Prediction Center and the Weather Forecast Office in Norman because everybody's out looking at storms, that you really get to study storms when you're out there. Mm-hmm. All right. Our phone numbers again, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington, 1-877-285-9348 outside the Bloomington area. And at Noon Edition, if you want to follow us on Twitter, and we do appreciate Tim's call. Didn't want to go on the air, but he had that question for oh, us. We, we do do appreciate that. Um, so we did get another question before. Somebody wanted to know what you guys do for a, a full-time living to pay your bills if you're out chasing <laughs> storms all the time. I, uh, I've been detailing cars for over 20 years, and now I'm doing it for myself, and I do some other jobs as well. But okay. I'm actually kind of working things around so I can do more chasing because I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I really do. No, I actually do landscaping. Uh, I've studied school for environmental landscape design, so that's kind of like always been like another seasonal thing for me. Gotcha. Okay, we got that out of the way, so now yeah. we know. <laughs> <laughs> Just being uh, able to yeah. leave at a moment's notice. And <laughs> I, I wish I could chase full time. That would be great. <laughs> so there are people who do that. I um, could. Yeah. If I have enough people covering the office, I can. Yeah. <laughs> well, so let's talk a little bit about about safety and about precautions. We've got the you know the, the heavy storm season is here. We've already had uh, you said six tornadoes so far in Indiana. I believe so, this yeah. season. Yeah. Um, so if we hit our average, there'll be sixteen more. So what 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 are some key things that people really need to know to protect themselves? Well, I'll start with that. Number one. I think the necessity for either an app on your phone, uh, inws.noaa.gov, you can have all the watches and the warnings right there on your phone. Um, there are other private companies. Uh, there's a group called uh, in Norman, Oklahoma, that produces radar scope. I Fully recommend the $10 for that radar. Yeah, <laughs> great app. Yeah, It is fantastic. That's developed by uh, Warning Development Technologies, and all these gentlemen that work there are graduates of the University of Oklahoma and have master's or doctorates in it. So they know what they're doing, and they work very close with the National Weather Service down there. 
um, have something like that to prepare yourself. Um, I used to go travel around the country and I would ask people, it's the ready, set, go that you have to remember. Um, if you turn on any of the news shows in the morning, whether it's uh, the Weather Channel, whether it's the Today Show or anything like that, they will show you the risk for that particular day. So if you're in a enhanced, moderate, or high risk, that is the time to be prepared to wherever you take cover, whether it's an indoor bathroom or a basement, make sure it's stocked with water. Uh, make sure you have fresh batteries in your radio so you can stay up to date. A NOAA weather radio is about as effective as a smoke detector and should be required in your home. Um, after the Evansville tornado back in 2006, I believe it was, um, it, it became a requirement that all, all mobile homes have weather radio equipped. Mm -hmm. um, so have that so that you can get, you can program your weather radio for the county that received your warning. I recommend you also do the three counties to your west for advanced warning. Uh, when the warning is issued, then you really need to take cover. You really, if you think that something is going to happen, take cover in your basement, take cover in your safe place. That's uh, how you prepare. So the weather radio, that would alert you at night. That to me is my big worry. Yeah. It's gonna happen when I'm sleeping. Yeah. And keep in mind that these weather radios that come out, um, you lose power. They have batteries, and they can back up. And as long as you have fresh batteries, that'll still let you know. I used to always say that NOAA weather radio is about as close as you're going to get to somebody knocking on your door to tell you a tornado's yeah. coming. And even if you're a deep sleeper, trust me, it'll wake you up. <laughs> so you guys are just, uh, you know, you're going to be going out. Uh, on things like this, but you've got people that you, you know and you love. I mean, what do you recommend that they do? Um, my my mom and dad actually have a NOAA weather radio. We've had one, or they've had one for a very long time. Uh, so, you know, they use that first, and then they ask me second. So <laughs> occasionally I do give them personal advice if I if I yeah. feel they're, in, you know, being threatened by a storm. Yeah. But, you know, I think I want to mention, too, that let's not forget, and you kind of alluded to that early in the program about, you know, warnings not being issued, you know, like yeah. that's another tremendous, you know, problem that they have, whether you issue a warning or don't. You know, if you issue too many warnings, people don't take it seriously. You know what I mean? Right. But more than likely, they're always going to remember the time it didn't get issued, you know, and something did happen. Right. So that's that's part of where we try to help, you know, give some ground verification, some truth to what they're seeing on the radar. Because it's a lot easier for them to make a call if they're on the fence. If I can say, you know, Dan, I have a tornado here. It's one mile northwest of me of XY Road and moving northeast at 10 miles an hour. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So that's – I think as time goes on and we kind of – marriage you know uh social media and some of these other great technologies we have that we're going to help improve the process of providing accurate and timely warnings to the public okay i get to ask all the dumb questions so how do you know it's when you're sitting there looking at how do you know it's an, a mile and a half northwest of you it's it's always a guesstimate because okay. believe me and it's probably wrong you know what i mean as far <laughs> as accurate measurements uh when you see a tornado it autom automatically feels like it's really really close to you uh, but we try to do our best. To, and, you know, you can use the radar and, and look at what your position is and, you know, try to guesstimate approximately, what, you know, what the distance away from the storm is. Okay. Dan? Um, you, you brought up a really good point. You know, people really know what to do with a tornado warning. A severe thunderstorm warning you have to take seriously, too. And, and another great example was a week ago. We had some very strong winds that moved through Indianapolis, for example. 70, 80-mile-an-hour winds. And you don't realize that is EF1 range, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. And so you're sustaining damage equivalent to a tornado that can produce EF1 mm -hmm. damage. So you can get roofs torn off and stuff like that. So please take severe thunderstorm warnings just as seriously as you do tornado warnings. And I'd like to emphasize once again that we put in the warning, our severe thunderstorm warnings, that a tornado can develop any time from a severe thunderstorm. So you have to keep that in mind. One, now, one of you mentioned, uh, maybe Dan mentioned mobile homes, and I know that... Um, that you know, mobile homes have been there have been a lot of tragedies around mobile homes and severe storms and tornadoes. So, so a are mobile homes homes being built in a more secure way now? And b, um, you know, what kind of advice do you give people who who do live in mobile homes when when we hit this time of year? I'll take this one. Yeah, Drake. I actually live in a modular home. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, in mind, you know, I've did some research on it, and you know, a modular home, you know, it's like you know the double wide. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been tests on it. Then you can see videos on YouTube where um, they've had like jet engines blowing and uh, withstand like 110 mile an hour winds. Although, you know, the basic common trailer, you know. I don't think that they're designing them anymore to be, you know, to take on wind. As a matter of fact, Wednesday we had a high wind warning just in Fort Wayne, and we were getting 60 mile an hour gust. And in my trailer park, I mean, it just you seen the skirting and roofing just mm-hmm. all from 60 mile an hour gust. And these are all brand new, newer trailers mm-hmm. that you know, if you're in a situation and the strong storm, you know, don't even just stay in there. Go somewhere, you know, who's got a sturdy structure or go somewhere that you know that might have a basement mm-hmm. okay that's good advice so i guess just following up again from last week but is it more difficult when you have all i guess a lot of different systems to then issue a warning in a particular area like you know there's a lot going on in this area so maybe something just doesn't get seen because there's so much activity yes um you can see little couplets that develop and sometimes yeah, now with the dual pole radar, we can scan storms every three or four minutes rather than wait six minutes like we used to with the uh, old algorithms. But even then, sometimes those couplets can appear in between scans, and that's how quick they can strike. So th- you have to really take that in consideration. How is it that you predict, you know, I hear sometimes, that's how I know a lot about these small towns in Indiana, because you hear them during <laughs> them. How do you, how are you able to do it that precisely to say, oh, this is going to hit shoals at exactly 6.52 and then? Uh, sometimes as far as the couplets for tornadoes, so those small tornadoes, those mini tornadoes, we can't. I'll be honest with you, so we can't sometimes detect them. But you see the line, and the severe thunderstorm warning is can be issued because the lines have certain signatures that give hints that maybe a tornado can quickly form and dissipate. And so, you know, that's why we emphasize that that bit of safety with these strong storms. And this time of the year, um, like the last two weeks, um, it's been really weird. We, our temperatures have been above normal. Um, and uh, we, were, we were calling for those strong storms seven days in advance because usually when you're above normal like we have been and then you get these strong cold fronts come through, this is exactly what happens. That's kind of what ha- what's happened right now. Right. <laughs> All right. We, you know, we're, we're almost out of time. I just wanted to say also, so Eric has talked about the National Weather Service being the go-to place. So I just want to talk about just very quickly, I mean, like Sarah was mentioning, the, the forecasts that people can see if they just turn on their television set, if they turn on NPR, you know, WFIU, and they're listening to what's coming out. Most of that stuff comes from the National Weather Service, doesn't it? Yes, it okay. does. Uh, all okay. the outlooks and the all the convective outlooks or sphere weather outlooks come from the Storm Prediction Center in Norman. Okay. Then when a watch is issued, that comes from the Storm Prediction Center coordinated with us. So we work as a team to draw up which counties are in the watch. And then the warnings come from us. Okay, great. Thank you very much for that. And thanks to all of you. Um, Take uh, their advice. Be safe this this uh, weather season. Don't do what Drake and Eric do and run out and chase <laughs> yes. storm. Unless you're trained. Unless yes. you're trained. <laughs> but I, I want to thank Dan McCarthy, Drake Luton, and Eric Lawson, and also for our producer, Ryan DiBattista, engineer Mike Pashkash, and Sarah Whitmire. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. Publichealth.indiana.edu and Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.